Amen. All right. I think I lost my microphone for half of that. It fell. But thankfully, most of your eyes were closed, so you didn't notice it. (laughs) Well, if you didn't know, this week is special for a few different reasons. And maybe that reason for you is that today is Super Bowl Sunday, and you're excited to see a few teams battle it out to see who's the victor. I, I, of course, in my household, usually look forward to the commercials more than the games. And maybe that's you, too, or maybe you're looking forward to the halftime show. But there's another wonderful holiday this week, and I think you might know which one I'm talking about, and that is Valentine's Day. You know, it was a funny thing is, is that on my way to the church, uh, my wife and I were talking about uh, two holidays that come up. My wife's Irish, so she, of course, thinks about St. Patty's Day, and and St. Uh, and uh, Valentine's Day is coming up this week, and we were kind of lamenting over the fact that these two wonderful holidays are after two wonderful men who did wonderful things in their lives, but we oftentimes use St. Valentine's Day for bad excuses to do certain things. And the same thing with St. Patrick's Day, where it's oftentimes an excuse to just get drunk. So if you didn't know, I'd like to share a little bit of history with you on the day that is St. Valentine's Day. But quick question before I get into the history. Any of you in grade school had to make those little boxes where people would come around and give notes? Well, I might look young, but I was... I'm old enough to remember that I did not yet live in the generation of people that had the privilege of, uh, let's say, everybody getting a nice little card. In fact, I remember in my own life that uh, not everybody would give a little happy card, happy note out. Uh, so maybe that's you, but I don't know. But if, if you didn't know the story of St. Valentine, uh, it actually comes back to the time of Roman history. There's a legend around his life, and scholars aren't fully certain what is true and what might not be true, but the common thinking behind it is, is that Valentine was illegally marrying people at a time where marriage was being outlawed. Because you see, the emperor at that time did not want men to go, or wanted men to go to war, and Valentine would oftentimes opposed the emperor by marrying people who were in love with each other at a time where the emperor didn't want anybody to have an exemption from going off to war. So he would secretly conduct these marriage ceremonies against the wishes of Rome for the sake of love in the gospel. Eventually, Valentine was imprisoned and uh, became endeared by, believe it or not, the jailer's daughter, who he prayed for, and it's said that she eventually became healed of the things that she was pr- he was praying for her with. But eventually what would happen is, is Valentine would be executed, and on the day that he was executed, he sent a letter to the jailer's daughter and ended that letter by saying, your Valentine. So it's from that story that we still think about Valentine as a time of love, a time that we are reminded of the importance of love and how love is worth it, and specifically marriage is a beautiful institution that God has created for us. So why am I even talking about this right now as we look at the series of Jonah? 
Well, for one, it's because Valentine's Day is coming up. But for two, it's because this theme of love is an important one that we see throughout Scripture. Scripture oftentimes reminds us of the importance that we have in obligation and a duty to love one another. And I think in some ways when we look at the prophet Jonah's life, we see a different picture of love. Maybe in some ways you can say a lack of love. So for that reason, we're going to be in the book of Jonah today. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1 in Scripture. So if you didn't know, the book of Jonah is in the Old Testament of Scripture, and it comes right, out, uh, right after the book of Obadiah. It's a smaller book that only has four chapters in it, so if you turn your pages too quickly, you might miss it. So Jonah lived around 8th century B.C., and I'll put up a few facts for you. And he lived roughly around the time of uh, 782 to 753. That's when his ministry uh, was going on. So roughly a 30-year period. And he was specifically under the reign of Jeroboam II. Now, if you didn't know, Israel was divided within two kingdoms by this time period. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom typically had bad kings that followed in the footsteps of their forefather, Ahab. And it was, it, it was uh, Jonah was serving as a prophet in the northern kingdom during this time. We actually call Jonah a prophet, but if you see the scriptures that we're going to be reading through this series, nowhere in this scripture does it actually label Jonah as a prophet like in other prophets that we see in scripture. But there's a few things that help us believe that he was a prophet. And one of them is the, the opening verse, which we'll get to in a few moments here. But also the only other reference of Jonah in scripture, which is from 2 Kings 14.25. When it talks about Jonah uh, being a, a, a messenger for the Lord. So Jonah at this time period would have been a contemporary of the other prophets, Hosea and Amos. And he's known throughout history as a reluctant prophet. But then I guess the question that we need to ask ourselves is what is a prophet? I think we've heard the word prophet or maybe prophecy before, and we typically think of someone who tells the future, right? That's what we typically think of when we think of at least prophecy. So we oftentimes think that a prophet is somebody who tells the future. When in fact a better definition for what a prophet would be is just a messenger of God. A messenger of God. So we see within the Old Testament that God sometimes elects different people to bring different messages to the people of Israel, or to just people in general. Sometimes those messages are a message of, of, of coming doom that can be around the corner based on the decisions that they're making. Sometimes the message can be a message of repentance, or it can be even more than that. 
But either way, a prophet is a messenger from God. So we're going to look at this reluctant prophet, someone who's known for not wanting to do what God is calling him to do. So again, open up to Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Scripture says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amati. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So this is God coming to Jonah, and this is another reason why we see Jonah as a prophet, is because it uses this famous statement of the word of the Lord came to, which is often the same statement that's used for other prophets within Scripture, and God has a message specifically to Jonah to do what? To go to the land of Nineveh to preach about its wickedness. Now, I think it's, it's easy to get our minds immediately onto the fact that God is calling Jonah to preach that, that Nineveh has been wicked. But I want to take a second and pause right there and take our time to look at what God is doing. You see, I think it's easy for us to think that God only isolates himself for caring for certain kinds of people. I think we even do this within our own minds today, that, you know, God really only cares about these kinds of people right here. Maybe God only cares about Israel, or maybe God only cares about Leonard and Marie, but nobody else, right? And we get these bad ideas in our thoughts, but here we see that even in a time where God is in some ways stewarding nations, the nation of Israel, he still cares about what? The people of the world. That he cares enough about an entire demographic of people that aren't even in the country of Israel that aren't even next to Israel, that are doing what? Sinning against God. You see, I think we often wrongly think about sin as God's opportunity to punish us, right? And we think of God as kind of the heavenly figure holding up that magnifying glass up against the sun, and we're the little ants that he likes to burn, right? But in reality, God throughout Scripture is continuously trying to do what? Draw to other people to himself. Draw other people to himself. He constantly cares about the sins of other people, not because he wants to use that as an opportunity to condemn them, but because God rightly knows that if you leave his ways, what you enter into is a path of destruction. That sins ultimately hurt ourselves, but sins also hurt others. And it, believe it or not, it actually hurts and grieves the heart of God. Have you ever thought about that? That the choices you make don't just affect you, but it affects others, and it could grieve the heart of God. It's kind of like just as a father, I want to see my sons succeed. 
So when they do things that I know aren't good for their success, I become grieved by it. Because I love my boys and I want to see my boys do well. Well, we are God's children. And in the same way, when God sees us misbehaving, he's also grieved because he desires the best for us. So right away, this book should encourage us that God keeps a watchful eye, not just on Israel, not just on Leonard and Marie, but on all people. God keeps a watchful eye on you just as much as he keeps a watchful eye on me. Because he cares about my life and he cares about your life. Think about that. Say that to yourself if that's something that you struggle to believe. God cares about me. Tell your neighbor right now, God cares about me. Good. I think I see a few of you saying, uh, trying to argue on who God cares about more still. Don't do that. I, I just said don't do that. <laughs> God cares about people. And it's because of this loving care that he calls Jonah to go to the land of Nineveh. Now, unfortunately, sometimes between the original Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in and our modern English language, sometimes we can lose some of the words in translation. But in fact, the Hebrew word that, that God calls Jonah to is the Hebrew word kom. And that word kom means specifically to arise. And it's often just meant to literally arise, but it's in, in this particular instance, God is calling Jonah to respond promptly. To respond promptly because his love for the people is big and he wants to be able to quickly speak to those people through Jonah in order for these people to hear that they have gone astray. Now, if you didn't know, I'm going to show for you on the map here where God is calling Jonah. So you'll see circled in red there that he's calling him to Nineveh. So if you don't know where that circle is, that would be modern day Iraq. Okay, and in the next slide, I can show you here where, where um, Jonah ends up. So he's in northern Israel, and he eventually makes his way down to where this blue circle is. And now there's an arrow there pointing something else, and we're about to get to that portion right there. And it says uh, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You see, God is calling Jonah to go to the land of Nineveh because why? Well, as we read, as Mariana read earlier into the service from 1 Timothy 2.4, because God desires that all people 
be saved. You see, did you ever think about the fact that God truly desires for all people to be saved? Some other portions of Scripture use the languages, He desires that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, because God's love is oftentimes greater than we can possibly imagine. And in hearing this message, the right response should be what? Lord, I'm your prophet. I got this. I'm going to go there to the land of Nineveh, and I'm going to do the things that you called me to do. Because being in your will is the safest place that I can be. You ever think about that? You see, sometimes in life, God calls us to do things, and it might not make logical sense to us, but it is what he has called us to do, and we need to trust for ourselves that the things that God calls us to are the best kinds of things that we can do in the safest places that we can be, because ultimately being in the center of God's will, or being in the will of God, I should just say, is the safest place in our lives. But like Jonah, we can struggle to do what God calls us to do. So one of the questions that I have for you today is, is how do you respond to God's voice in your life? Ask yourself that question. How do you respond to God's voice in your life? Do you say yes and amen? Or do you, like Jonah, become fearful and run away? You see, going back to the map there, when Jonah hears this message, he goes all the way down into the southern region of Israel in Judea and goes to Joppa. And then from Joppa, he tries to go all the way to this land called Tarshish. Now, we don't know exactly where Tarshish is. Our best guess is that Tarshish is likely in some portion of western Spain. And that's so far away from this point because he'd have to cross Greece cross Italy, and then get to Spain all the way away from Israel, that it's so far away that I can't even put it on a map that you can see. I mean, I could, I just didn't. (laughs) I mean, isn't that us at times? God calls us to do something and to go somewhere, and what do we do? We look at that thing and then we try to get as far away as possible away from that thing because we become afraid of the things that God calls us to. You see, we are more like Jonah than we realize. God is calling Jonah to be his prophet, to move eastward to the land of Nineveh, and he goes westward as far far as he can to get away from God. You know, maybe you know of a story in your own life. When I think of a story, I think of me struggling with my calling to be a pastor. 
you know, if you didn't know, I tried to run away from that calling for a long time in my life. And I've shared at a number of different times what that's looked like for me. But I remember specifically by the time that I got married and moved to Colorado, I went to Denver Seminary because I believed I was called to go to Denver Seminary, but I was kind of like the reluctant seminary student. Where if people would ask me why I'm here and what I want to do, I would usually say, I don't know. I'm just, I just felt called to be here, so I'm here reluctantly. <laughs> and in fact, I spent most of my time in seminary saying, I do not want to be a pastor. I do not want to be a pastor. Please, God, I do not want to be a pastor. And a part of that was because I had served in churches already for a number of years and became in some ways jaded by what it means to be a pastor. See, being a pastor is not as always easy or fun or even reassuring as we would hope for it to be. In fact, if you didn't know this, it takes typically pastors seven years worth of schooling, just the schooling side of things, to formally pursue pastoral ministry. When a pastor, in fact, only stays in ministry on average five years before they say, I've had enough and find a different profession. So they don't even make it typically for the length that they go to schooling for. Which is so sad to me that a profession that's meant to be about bringing in spiritual health, bringing in emotional health, is oftentimes the furthest from the truth from what an actual pastor feels like in his own life. So I was the reluctant seminary student. I remember I had a professor that him and I became critical of a few ideas that he had. So one day he sat me down and he asked me to write all the things that I hope to do for God. And he looked at that paper that I wrote, and one by one, he went, Pastor, 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 you're called to be a pastor. Stop running away from being a pastor, Kevin. <laughs> and I remember thinking, give me that back, and walking away. You know, we're all called to do things that we don't want to do. Right? We're all called to do things that we don't want to do. We don't know why Jonah ran from God. We don't know why he didn't just follow in the Lord's path and what he was calling him to do. But I think I can guess. And I think I can guess that sometimes in our lives, we become afraid of the paths that God calls us to do. Because maybe those paths look bigger than what we feel is inside of us. And we look at ourselves, and we look at the job, and we say, Lord, I'm not big enough for this job. Maybe you've had that feeling before. Maybe you have looked at a situation in your own life, whether it be a relationship or something that you have to accomplish, even maybe even paying your bills. And between what you have to do or what you know you have to do and what you have inside of you feels like the math doesn't add up. 
Or maybe it's just because you haven't fully come into the great love that God has. You see, you would maybe remember a couple weeks ago, I preached a message on the Lord's Prayer. And I specifically preached on the portion that said, forgive us our debts as we also forgive those who debt amongst us. And I said in that message the importance of doing what? Receiving forgiveness and those that remember? Extending or giving forgiveness. And I think it's easier for us oftentimes to receive the forgiveness, receive the love, receive the mercy that God has for us. But sometimes it's really difficult for us to extend that to others. Not because it's actually hard, but because we are hard as people. And we oftentimes, in our own self-righteous pride, think about us more than others. Do we not do this? We let our preferences known so quickly and so freely to those around us that we sometimes seldom think about what God is actually calling us to do. But here's the thing, church. You cannot run from God. You cannot run from God. And as we're going to see within this series, is that as far as Jonah tries to go away from God, God, he cannot escape God. And in some ways, I think that should terrify us because it's kind of like almost like that horror movie scene where every single time the person thinks they've gotten away far enough, they look around and then boom, the person's right there ready to get them. So that should scare us in some ways, right? But in reality, it should ultimately comfort us in knowing that we might try to run away from God but we can never escape the length of his love, grace, and mercy that he desires for us. You cannot run away from God. But that's a good, good thing. Because God's mercy and his love for you is so much better than you could possibly imagine. This series is going to challenge each of us to think about how you specifically run from God. And I hope that you use it as an opportunity not to just look at Jonah as the reluctant prophet, but maybe to look at Pastor Kevin as the reluctant Christian or Phil as the reluctant Christian or Lena or Elliot or Donna or whomever as the reluctant follower of Jesus, but that you would see that what God calls us to do are good and beautiful things. They're privileges, they're blessings, and what God is going to do through Jonah, even somebody who doesn't want to do what he's called to do, brings nothing but beauty, even if he himself is reluctant. So church, remember this week, 
that you cannot run from God. So when you're tempted to, plant your feet, stop for a second, and say, okay, God, I'm feeling that feeling of trying to run from you, but here I am. Do you do that for me this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank